Welcome to the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and we ramble on about old school games. In today's episode, we are going to talk about one of my favorite video games and how in some ways it's incredibly similar to D&D. As you know, no mortal can outrun a red cap. So just sit back, listen, and I hope you enjoy. Man, it's been a while since I've said that. I've really enjoyed saying it again, and I thank everybody who stuck around to listen to this. One of my favorite games in recent years is a small indie game called RimWorld. I have sunk hundreds of hours into this game. In fact, on average, most players sink well over 100 hours into it, and this is a game that sold millions of copies. In modern times, that is almost unheard of to have that consistent amount of time sunk into a game by each player. It's a game that, in my opinion, it's almost more fun to lose than it is to win. And the stories that you tell people about how the game went is where the juice really comes from in this experience. In RimWorld, you try to create a colony on some distant RimWorld planet. Uh, you're trying to build a base and survive against the environment, against enemy raids, uh, against dangerous animals and monsters. You have to keep your people fed, have to keep them ha from having mental breakdowns. Uh, each of your colonists have all their own personality. They will fall in love. They'll get married. They'll cheat on each other. They'll break up. Uh, they might be disgusted at the religious beliefs of another uh, colonist or another visitor. Uh, they could have uh, drug or alcohol addictions. They might decide to become nudists. They could catch diseases. They might develop a taste for human flesh. And so many other things that I could be here all day describing how varied each individual character in the game could be. You'll hear stories from RimWorld players that describe the situation uh, of a game, something like this. So a recent game that I played. Everything was going super fine in the colony. We were building up, uh, we were getting larger. Um, you know, we had food, everything stable. But then a hungry cougar wandered by our base and it attacked Griffin, which was the colony's poodle. Uh, Mary, who was bonded to Griffin, she was the trainer of, of Griffin, um, dragged him back to the base put him on a medical bed and tried to save him because she was very attached to, to him. She ended up using the majority of the medicine the colony had, but it was of no use and Griffin eventually died from his wounds. Mary was having a pretty rough go of it before that. Uh, she really didn't like how ugly our base was. It was dug into a side of a cliff and it was like raw walls and stuff. So she was already in a bad mood, but then Griffin died. His blood was splattered all over the base. So there was, it was even more ugly. It was affecting her even more. And then losing a close friend and she just snapped. She decided to strip down naked and wander off into the desert. The problem is, is that Mary was the only settler we had in this colony that was skilled enough at cooking that she could cook meals properly without consistently giving people food poisoning. So one of the other colonists saw her wandering out and realized what was happening. So he tried to go and contain her, tried to arrest her, bring her back and, and lock her down until this mental break passed. However, in doing so, he went out and tried to arrest her and he tried to knock her out, but he injured her. Um, getting her back to the colony, he tried to heal her, but she had already used all the medical supplies of the dog. And then she ended up dying after getting a blood infection from the wounds that she sustained while he was trying to knock her out. Jerry, who's another colonist and also Mary's uncle, goes into a rage and finding out that she's dead. His mental break, instead of wandering around somewhere, was he decides, screw it, we're going to burn the whole thing to the ground and starts lighting fires to everything in the, in the, uh, in the, in the camp. Jerry goes around and he's doing his best trying to just put out the fires. He doesn't want to intervene now because he feels bad. He's sad that Mary died as well. 
So you have one colonist running around setting things on fire, another one's trying to put out the fires. And right at around that point in time, the game decided to send a pack of rabid squirrels in and just this mass of like 30 rabid squirrels came in and overrun uh, the two colonists, killing Thomas outright and chewing off Jerry's legs and leaving him ble bleeding out on the ground. And that would normally be the end of the game. In fact, it was the end of the game. There was a nomad that came by and saved and stabilized Thomas and decided to stay with him. So I could have continued the game there, but I figured that was a good enough story and just ended the game and started a new one after that. So why am I talking about RimWorld on my D&D podcast? Well, I was recently watching a YouTube video, surprise, surprise, and the creator of the game, Tynan, was explaining how he designed the game and, and what he was thinking of as he was putting in the various components of this game. And as he was talking, everything that he said, almost to a point, clicked in my brain as something related to D&D. And I wanted to share some of these quotes with you. So uh, I'm going to put a link to the full YouTube video down in the description of the episode. But here are some of the things that really stood out to me as I was listening to it. And I want you to listen to these with the thought process of somebody talking about D&D rather than a video game. All right, so here is clip number one. So from very early on, I said specifically and explicitly that RimWorld is not a game. It's not a game. RimWorld is not a game. And I have to keep repeating it, and I have for years, like a mantra, because it reframes everything. And it's so easy to slip back into the game framing. Nor is RimWorld a story. I'm not here to tell a story. The game is not there to tell a story. Uh, RimWorld is a story generator. The player interacts with it, and stories emerge from that interaction. So we do hear a lot about doing narrative in games, and this is a really good impulse. Often, though, this means importing other assumptions from books or movies and sort of ramming them together with games and kind of doing the two side by side. So, and even then, saying, I'm going to make a story is just as much of a cognitive prison as saying, I'm going to make a game. The D&D side of me says, well, that's a sandbox campaign where the world exists and players interact with it and the outcomes and interactions naturally form a story rather than one that is forced or pre-planned. And allowing these stories to organically build is what leads to buy-in for most players. He then goes on and talks about uh, skill. So I think this was also a very interesting quote. Uh, one common complaint among RimWorld players who are really skilled is that they play really well, but they still get their face beat in by the game. And they feel this is unfair because they think that their skill should be rewarded with commensurate success. And since this comes up so often, I've actually named it the skill test assumption. It's the assumption that skill should be rewarded proportionally. And this seems kind of obvious, right? Like, the player's more skilled, so they have more success. But hold on, it's not a game. It's not about winning and losing. Success isn't assumed, it's not even important. Stories can end in success or failure, and still be great stories. Every tragedy from Romeo and Juliet to Ex Machina ends in horrifying failure and loss for the protagonist. But those tragedies are rich and moving emotional experiences. So that's why while RimWorld does acknowledge player skill and we do try to reward it in many ways, um, the game is very deliberately willing to harm players who are even playing well. 
Because if it couldn't, I think it would be badly hobbled as a story generator. I recently did a guest spot on Cleric's Wear Chainmail. Uh, link will be down in the description. And we talked about character builds, min-maxing, a bunch of other stuff. It was a fantastic time. Highly recommend you go listen to it. Um, and this falls directly in line with the discussions that we were having there, that the mindset that you have to have in a role-playing game is not that you're here to win, but instead you're ex here to experience the world and see what stories come of that. Um, he has a, a really great quote here on, on tension, so I'll play that one next. To have tension, I think a game has to threaten a player with some sort of consequence. That's what's in the balance. In classic games, this is the game is over or you failed to skill test. And this makes sense because these games are all about testing skill. Once you've failed the skill test, the question is answered. The, the, the test is done. There's nothing else to, to find out. Stories are different. In a story, attention is maintained by threatening things that the characters care about, not by threatening to end the story. So in RimWorld, when things go wrong, they're designed to go wrong such that the player loses some story element that they care about, like a pet or a loved one. But the game isn't ended. We just keep going. We play it out. And this works because the player is invested in these things. I think this quote should be really taken to heart by both DMs and players and really think about and realize that giving the characters things to care about and as a character trying to find things that you care about, making likable PCs, having cool safe places, uh, having scenic locations or locations where dear memories are created for the characters, give you things that as a DM you can threaten, that you can use to create drama and can make, uh, you know, evoke strong emotions. RimWorld lets you do that without the characters having created some weird backstory ahead of time. This is all done on the fly as game is being played. You simply get invested by the things that are happening around you. So often you'll hear DMs and players try to solve this problem by having a pre-written story that then has to be wedged into the world somehow. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think you can get that same buy-in by simply having the world be likable enough or engaging enough that that stuff happens naturally throughout gameplay. On not ending the game and letting players learn the stakes, this was pretty interesting as well. When the Raiders win a battle, they don't just keep going relentlessly and massacre everyone in the base after they've broken your defenses. They used to do this, but in later versions, we discovered that if the Raiders become satisfied with kidnapping somebody or uh, stealing some of your stuff and leaving, they leave you to recover, you can rebuild, and you know the stakes next time they're coming after you. I call this elastic failure, because instead of failure being a brick wall that you run into and shatter on, it's something that stretches the failure state. You enter a deeper and deeper failure state, and those failure states tend to be very dramatic and very storyful, because it's in the process of failure and the process of perhaps recovering from that, that if we can stretch that out, that produces those dramatic situations. I listened to that and I thought about how many cool campaigns uh, that have just utterly died and didn't get to explore their full potential due to a TPK. And how if instead of just rebooting and starting a whole new campaign, you continued the story in that world um, and how much more meaningful that would be for the players and, and what cool stories could come out of it. Stretching the failure out over a single party or multiple parties, but over a longer timeline. Uh, and bringing in characters who may have heard of the stories of the previous campaign. It's, you know, keeping that, keeping the same living world and just allowing 
the failure to become a part of the history of the world and then picking up from that same point um, could really enhance uh, the stories that come out of that world and the history of it and the emotional investment that the players have. Uh, Tynan then has a talk about the graphics in RimWorld, which I think also apply to D&D in a funny enough way. If you're making a story generator, the frame is different. What purpose do the visuals serve? To communicate the story. They don't have to look detailed to do that, or beautiful or realistic. In fact, it might be better if they were less detailed, less beautiful and less realistic. Because the story is not a sequence of images, it's a sequence of events. Images are just one means of communicating those events. But there are others. Uh, when you read a novel, or you listen to a friend tell you a story verbally, your mind fills with the situations and the characters and the emotion, and you feel the story. And those situations and characters and emotions are what the story generator is trying to create. And none of them are visual. So all that stuff on the screen, it's not the end product. The end product is the understanding and emotions and internal experience of creating and enjoying that story. So RimWorld's graphics don't actually attempt to look maximally beautiful or realistic or detailed. I think of RimWorld graphics as a system of symbols, like Asian characters a little bit, or icons on your phone and they represent abstracted objects. To me, RimWorld graphics are as important as the typeface on a novel. It can be better or worse, but in the end, I don't care, except in terms of how effectively it transmits the story into the player's mind. So after listening to that, it clicked to me with something that I had been feeling recently about really super fancy battle maps um, and how spending a lot of time creating these perfectly dynamic, lighted, and uh, beautiful um, battle maps in various VTTs can take away from the game in meaningful ways by forcing too much fidelity, too much um, realism, uh, if that's the right word, on what you're visually seeing rather than allowing the imagination to take place. So I love VTTs. I, I, I stand by it. I think they're great. But I do think that you lose a little bit of something when you force too much fidelity into it and maybe not just because of a technology limit, but also because of the imagination that's allowed. Those older modules with their older maps and how they were presented uh, probably had things really in a sweet spot uh, due to that. The last clip I'm going to play for you today is a quick point about mechanics and the logic of the game. I think we tend towards, obviously, a fascination with mechanics and logic and systems and numbers. And especially this is in computer game development, because this is how computers work. So game developers will often chase their own emotional signals and tend to work towards mechanical, numerical interactions that are interesting, which can work really well. Don't get me wrong. But if we're making a story generator, this is a trap, because stories are not made of numbers. They're really made of emotions. A story generator game has to relentlessly focus on the emotional journeys of the characters depicted. And this is really different from a game game, where the numbers and the mechanics provide the puzzle that the player can test themselves against. So as before, we have a conflict between the game as a skill test and the game as a story generator. In a skill test game, the player spends their time engaging with a logical system that they can master. In a story generating game, the player spends their time engaging with the imaginary emotions of the characters. So after listening to all that, do you guys see 
the same connections between how Tynan uh, approached the design of this video game and how we play or strive to play D&D. Any quotes in any of that really hit home with you? Have you tried RimWorld and do you have your own story of utter chaos that happened during that game? Drop me a voicemail or an email or hit me up wherever and let me know. I'm really interested to hear what people think about this. Am I the only one that sees this connection or um, do other folks kind of see that same same thought process as he's talking about this game? I really appreciate everybody who stayed subscribed and took the time to listen, given the lack of my normal episodes recently. I'm hopeful I'm going to be able to get things back into a normal flow. It was really fun kind of like writing out this the the points for this episode and sitting down here to record i haven't yet edited but i'm, I'm sure that'll be enjoyable as well and I'm, I'm hoping to get back into the swing of this uh, there's just been a lot of stuff that's been busy recently so folks that wraps up this episode of the red caps podcast i hope you enjoyed you learned something and you're eager to come back for more please subscribe in your podcasting app of choice and if there is an option to leave a review it would warm my cold little heart if you did I'd love to hear from you, so head over to anchor.fm slash theredcaps and you can leave me a voicemail or say hi on Twitter or in, and or Facebook at theredcapsnet. There is a Discord server that I am badly neglecting, but you can jump over there and talk with other like-minded people and ask where I'm at. Remember, folks, never let your cap dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We will talk again soon. Take care.